Anyhow, first of all, I just want to thank Abby for uh, contacting me. I know that she probably couldn't find a good, good speaker. So at the last moment, she called me instead. And uh, that was very nice to, to be included. Um, I, don't, I didn't have so much time to think of what to say because it was a little bit last minute. But um, I, was, I was just thinking about how you guys were getting together. And, and, and the topic was open. I didn't have to speak about any particular topic. Abby said I could talk about any any subject. And so I, I, I was just thinking about the fact that it's a, a time that you are separating challah and you're doing the mitzvah of challah. And I was just thinking about that itself as, a, as a, a, something to reflect on. It's a strange mitzvah. When you make challah and you separate the dough, so we usually burn the part of the dough that is supposed to go to the kohen. In theory, you could actually give it to a kohen but we're not considered pure, so when we touch the challah, it makes it impure and it has to be burnt. In outside of Israel, technically speaking, you could actually give it to a Kohen and the Kohen could go to the mikveh and he could eat it. But we don't usually do that here because most people feel like it's a little bit odd to do it, so they don't do it. But it just got me to thinking it's a very strange mitzvah because it's one thing to give somebody flour. Because when you give somebody flour, you give them the raw materials, you know, or there's, you know, in, in the times of the, uh, in, in Israel, they would give the, the produce to the Kohanim. They would take produce, like a portion of the produce of the field, and they would give it to the Kohen or the Levi. Or you could give somebody a gift of, um, of, of bread or cake or cookies. Sometimes people bring, you know, if they're coming over to your house, like cookies or like a, a complete product. But it's a little strange to bring somebody dough that you needed. Like, we, we're used to doing it so we don't think about it. And actually, maybe it would be more obvious how odd it is if we actually delivered the raw dough to a Kohen instead of burning it. Because we're used to putting dough in the oven maybe, so it's not that strange to burn it. Sometimes you burn it by accident. The part that we're not supposed to. But it's strange to take dough that you needed and give it to somebody and say, here's some dough, like either give them the flour and let them make the dough or give them the bread that you made and have them eat it. Why would you give them the dough? It's it's an odd mitzvah to to fulfill. To me, it seems odd. And so I was thinking about it and I was trying to understand how can this mitzvah make sense? Like, what is the message of it? And does it have a lesson that we can apply, especially as we're in the month of Elul right now, a month where we're supposed to be thinking about self-development and proving ourselves, working on areas that we, uh, that we recognize we've fallen short the rest of the year and we're coming up to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and we want to be at our best for the coming year. Hopefully it should be a better year. And uh, that's up to us to work on ourselves and to be worthy of that. And so... I was thinking that there really is a connection. It's an interesting connection that, that occurred to me that there's a space between raw materials and a finished product. Like raw materials, let's say, the actual produce from the ground or maybe the flour that's ground up, but it's still basically raw material. And then you have a finished product that's totally made the way you like it. Like if you bake a cake for somebody or you make them challah or whatever it is, you're making it to your taste or your recipe or whatever it is and you're delivering it to them like did you ever have warm sabzi at someone's house that wasn't your family it doesn't like taste exactly the same right no no, no two warm sabzis taste the same even sometimes within the same family like you could have two different relatives and it's slightly different 
And so everyone makes it their own style, right? So you have a space between those two extremes, which is the dough. The dough is something which is not really raw material purely because it's not like the produce without any processing at all, but it's also not the finished product. You're giving somebody a work in progress and saying like, complete this the way that you see fit. Like you give them the dough and you don't know what they're going to do with it. Maybe they'll make a focaccia out of it. Maybe they will make a challah out of it. Maybe they will make pizza. I don't know. They could make anything out of what you give them, the dough that you give them. You're giving them something which is not raw material, but it's not a finished product. And isn't it similar to sort of life? Because when we come into the world, we're not raw materials. Like you don't get to choose the raw materials you're made out of, your DNA, you know? You don't get to choose. The, there are certain character traits, like the Rambam says, there are many character traits a person is born with. Some people are born very chill. Like nothing gets their, on their nerves. Like they're just very chilled out no matter what. Even if really they might, it might be better for them to respond, you know, but they're not. And then there's some people who are really on edge and like, things that are, shouldn't bother them, make them go like, go nuts. And the Ramban says, that's, that's nature. That's our nature. A person is, 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 is given a certain set of character traits in their DNA and their, in, in the makeup of, of how they were created. And then we also are affected by, like we say, nature versus nurture. There's nature in there and there's nurture in there. Nurture is, you know, who you were influenced by when you were a kid, maybe your parents, maybe experience, experiences you had had an impact on you and changed you. So all of these things really weren't in your control, especially when you're a kid. Like you couldn't determine what kind of house you grew up in or what kind of maybe good or bad events happened in your childhood. Even now you can't really uh, determine, you can't really necessarily control the events that happened to you. But certainly when you were younger, you couldn't. And all of those things shaped you and made you who you are. So... Those things are the things we're dealt in life. And it's not, so the raw materials we didn't really get to choose, but the finished product, that's the thing you do get to choose, you know? And it's what you do with what's handed to you, you do get to choose. And what do you do when you're handed something which is a work in progress? When you have raw materials, there's a lot more leeway because you can choose, you can sift out, you can select, you have a lot of options. But when you're born into the world or you're, you're, you, are, you emerge into consciousness at a certain age and you are who you are and now you have what to work with and you can't be anybody besides the person that you are, you can try but it won't work. You'll never be able to become a person other than who you are. Does that mean you're stuck being exactly the way that you are right now forever? No. You can work with those raw materials and make them into whatever finished product they're capable of becoming. You're not restricted, you're not limited by a certain finished product, but you do have a certain limit in terms of what you're dealt. We're dealt certain experiences, character traits, DNA that was given to us that's never going to change. What can we make out of it? Okay, what, what, what can we fashion out of it? And in order to do that, we have to first of all be able to understand who we are. Because if you take a dough that's of a certain quality, it might not be good for bread. It might only be good for something thinner than that. Or it might only be good for something thicker than that. Or it might only be good for something coarser or something softer. 
you have to know what kind of a dough you're being given. Now, if you are in the field and you're taking grain, you're taking wheat, you can make that wheat into any kind of flour that you want. Or you could choose one kind of grain over the other and decide. But when you're given dough, you don't have that choice. You're just given the dough and now you have to do with it. You have to work within the nature of that dough that you're given. So what can you make out of it? You can't make cake out of the same dough that you make bread. You cannot. It won't come out right. I don't know a thing about baking, but I know that. Okay? Now, the same thing is, is true of a person. We have strengths and weaknesses that are uniquely our own. If we spend time trying to change who we are to become somebody else, it's not going to work. But what we can do is look at what the qualities are that we're given and look at the material that we have and say, what is the best finished product that can come out of this? And that requires two things. It requires understanding the materials that we have to work with and it also expects us or asks of us to have a vision of a better me or a better you. Okay, just like if you're going to bake something out of that dough, you first have to think, what is it going to be? What is it going to look like? What is it going to taste like? What is my vision of the finished product? A lot of times you'll come, if, you, if, if any of you have ever gone to a therapist or spoken to someone when you're going through a hard time, one of the questions a therapist will sometimes ask is, can you envision a life without this problem? Can, can, can you envision a better life? Because if you can't even start to envision a life without, let's say, you have anxieties in your life, you have, you have sadness in your life, you have uh, stresses in your life, or you have whatever the problems are that might bring you to seek help from somebody, a counselor or something like that, if you can't envision your life without it, then you can't start the process. You have to start by having a vision of the end, and then you can begin the process. But you're not going to change who you are. You're not going to erase events from your past that already happened. You're definitely not going to be able to change the chemical makeup of who you are. You're just going to learn how to take the dough and shape it into the best kind of a pastry or best kind of a cake or best kind of a bread that it can be. Just like when we give to the Kohen the dough, he doesn't get to decide whether it was what kind of grain it came from or what the consistency was or you know, what the, how much flour versus how much water. I mean, all of those things we decided before we gave it to the Kohen. And now he has to work with that within the constraints of that to try to see what is the potential here. Every person is like a dough in that way. You know, you have certain givens that you work with. That doesn't mean... That you see, out of any dough, something wonderful can come. If we understand what's in the dough and what the potential is, and we have a vision of what it could be, then out of any dough can come something incredible. It just won't all be the same thing. Not every dough is going to produce exactly the same baked good in the end. And we are the same way. It's very interesting that, you know, we have a lot of mitzvot related to bread in the Torah, a lot. And one of the most famous ones, obviously, is matzah, not eating chametz on Passover, eating matzah on Passover. And we have to prevent the dough from rising, right? That's, that's how you make a matzah. You prevent the dough from rising. There's something inside the dough that naturally certain chemical processes will take place and will rise. And you know what's really interesting? Any dough that could never have been chametz can also not be matzah. Meaning, in order for a dough to qualify as matzah, it has to have been a dough that it could have been chametz. Like if you had left it long enough, it would have become chametz and you stopped it and you made it into matzah. But if you use a grain like a gluten-free something that will never become chametz, 
No matter how long you leave it, it would never rise. Or rice flour or something like that will never rise. So then it can't be matzah either. And what that means is that in order to create something which is good, which is in the case of Passover, what we want, the desirable product, it means taking something that could also have been the undesirable product, but harnessing it for the good. It's not that you're, you don't go and say, well, since whatever the chemical reaction is that produces chametz is what I don't want, I'll go get a flour that doesn't produce that, like rice flour, like, uh, I don't know, uh, a chickpea flour, you know, or, or something like that. No, we don't do that. We specifically go for the kind of thing that has all the flaws in it, potential flaws in it, and that's what we work with. And we just stop the potential flaw from defining the product. Because we know that it's there, we anticipate it, and we make sure that it doesn't get to dominate what we're creating. And I think that's really what it means to develop ourselves as people. It means to understand what's inside, the good and the bad, the strengths and the weaknesses. And it's not to say I don't have that weakness. It's not to say that I don't have certain limitations. It's not to say that I don't have certain flaws. But how do you overcome those flaws and make sure that they don't dominate who you are in the finished product? That's really what it's about. If you deny who you are, you'll never be able to work on yourself effectively. You'll just try to be somebody that you're not. But if you embrace who you are and say, listen, I know that I'm this way and I'm that way. There's certain things about me that I don't want to be the forces or the elements that define me. I don't want this to define me. Let's say you feel that, I'm giving an example, and this probably doesn't apply to anyone here, but let's say you said, I feel I'm a somewhat selfish person, okay? Or here's something that might apply to more of us. I think about more of us. I care too much about what other people think. I mean, I think that's a very common thing today. I care too much about what other people think. Now, if you deny it and say, no, I don't care what other people think because you want to be cool, Right? Like a lot of people say, no, I don't care what other people think. I don't care. It's not important to me. Because they know that it sounds really lame to say that you do care. But deep down inside, they do care. So they're never really going to be able to address that because they're not willing to face it. And it's more important to them to pretend that they don't care than to admit and accept that they do care and then ask themselves, okay, I do care. I care. But that's not really what I want to define me. So how can I address that. How can I overcome that or channel that into something positive maybe so that it doesn't drag me down or it doesn't determine the decisions I make, what other people are going to think, even when I might be making a decision that's not best for me or not best for my family, not best for my life, but I'm so worried about what other people are going to judge me. But if we're not honest and we just say, no, no, I don't really care what other people think. This is really what I want to do. Then we're not going to be able to be truthful. We're not really going to be able to produce a finished product that is what we want. Just like if you don't know what kind of dough you're working with, you're not going to be able to make a pastry versus a pizza versus a bread. You, you don't know what you're dealing with. You don't know what you're working with. And a real expert chef, and I'm sure a lot of you know how to cook a lot better than I do. I don't have a clue, right? But somebody like, and especially like even, even my generation, we always call our moms and our grandmothers, you know? Like, what can I substitute this ingredient for if I don't have it? And all of a sudden, your grandmother or whatever will tell you, right? They'll, they'll know, like, oh, you can substitute this for this, you can put this for that. And of course, they don't even know what quantities mean. Yeah. Especially, especially Persian, <laughs> the Persian ladies, they, they just say, oh, you put some of this and some of that. It's like, but how much? No, no, some of it and some of this. And like, theirs comes out perfect and ours comes out horrible. 
right? But they just, it's just intuitive to them. But they know what every kind of food, how it works and what, what will produce and what can be substituted for what and how much of this. It's incredible. Now, if we could do that with ourselves, it would be really amazing. Like if we really understood and had an intuition about who we are and what the different elements of our personality were, then we would be able to determine exactly what the right balance was and not allow certain aspects like, just like when it comes to food, if something is too absorbent, you know, it will make the food too dry. And if something doesn't absorb liquid, it'll make the liquid, it'll make the food too liquidy and so on. Things like that are also true about ourselves. We're kind of like a dough. We're kind of like a food in the sense that we're, we're work in progress and we're trying to come out with a finished product that's, that, that's what we dream of. But if we don't understand the materials we're working with, we're not going to be able to produce that. And you know, there's a story I remember about a guy that he travels, he wants to go to a shiva far away from his home and he travels for many days or months or, you know, back in those days, they didn't have airplanes and they didn't have, when these stories were, give, were, were told over, you know, they didn't have like the kind of quick transportation they have. Now he tra- traveled very far to some yeshiva in the middle of nowhere and he comes in and he starts to spend some time there and he's very frustrated. And, uh, and, 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 and the rabbi comes to him and says, well, what brought you here? What are you seeking? What do you want? And he says, I'm looking to find God. I want to find Hashem. I, I, I've, I'm seeking a connection with God. And the rabbi said to him, no, 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 you don't find God here in the study of Torah. You find yourself first. First you have to find yourself. If you understand yourself, then from that you have a foundation you can build on. But if you don't understand yourself, then you can't build a relationship with God that's meaningful. And it's true in your relationships with other people too. And I'm sure many of you have had this experience. If you have your own issues, many people, we all have issues that we're dealing with in our own personalities and emotions and things like that. And a lot of times we jump and we think that a relationship will solve all of our problems. If I have a relationship with somebody else, it'll solve my problem. But if we don't understand who we are first, then getting into a relationship might distract you from those problems, but it's not going to solve them. And a lot of times it will have a bad influence on that relationship, and then the relationship won't work out. And then you'll be on the rebound, and you'll end up in another relationship that causes the same thing. And after a while, you'll wonder... Why do I keep getting into relationships with bad people again and again and again? But it's not because the people are necessarily bad. It could be, but it's not necessarily, right? It could be because there are things inside us that we first have to unpack and work out before we're ready. And the same is true of our relationship with Hashem. That the first address is to understand ourselves and work on ourselves. When we're able to understand ourselves and work on ourselves, then we can have a heart that's open and receptive to Hashem and receptive to, to words of Torah. But if we, that's why there's, a, there's actually a halakha that if a person is, has character issues, they have, we could call them psychological issues or character flaws that are very pronounced. We all have character flaws, but meaning that are very significant, that they shouldn't be involved. They shouldn't first go to the Beit Midrash to study. Meaning a person like that, first, their first focus needs to be on their internal work that needs to be done. If a person is fundamentally flawed, they're not going to be a good receptacle for learning, for growth. They're not ready yet. They first have to work out more fundamental issues. And this is what we're talking about. And I think this is what um, the idea of, um, of giving dough, everything that we do to Kohanim in a way is kind of like a metaphor for how to serve God. The Kohanim are supposed to be examples of that. So when they take the dough, you give them something which is a 
not finished product, but not a raw material, and you say, make out of this what you will. And that's what we need to do, make out of what we're given. Not all of us are going to be the same. Like the finished product of any one of us, the ideal that Hashem has given us the potential to become is not the same. No two individuals will be, turn out the same because the materials that you're using are not the same. So the, the exact potential that you have is not the same. And if you try to be somebody that you're not, it will be a disaster. You know, you'll be seeking after something that's just an illusion. Whereas if you try to become who you are, you know, I, I, there's a funny joke that they say you know, about this, this king. I might have told this joke to you before. It's a funny joke. There's a joke about this king that he sends a message, advertisement. He says, I'm looking for a general to lead my army. I need a new general. My general's retiring. I need a general. So the message goes out to the whole country and this one little old Jewish guy sees the advertisement and newspaper or something. And so he comes, this old Jewish guy comes and he knocks on the door of the palace and the guard comes and says, you know, how can I help? He says, I'm here to respond to the king's advertisement. He said, he's looking for a general. I'm here to respond. He's this old, you know, guy with a cane. Says, are you sure you're, you're here to respond to the advertisement? For a general? Yes, I'm here to respond. Okay, they bring him in. The first room, they have like another sta- place, they, another guard questions him again. You sure this is what you're here for? Yes, I need to speak to the king. I'm responding to the king's call. They're looking for a general. Okay, so finally they bring him into the king's chamber and the king is sitting around the throne and he sees this little old man walk in. And he says, what are you doing here? He says, I'm here to respond. The king put out a declaration that he needs a general and I'm here to respond to it. So the king said, well, do you know how to lead an army? He said, absolutely not. Don't know anything about that. He said, do you have any experience like in the military or anything like that? None at all, no. He's like, do you think you would have the energy and the strength at this age to go out and to be able to fight and to be able to, to, uh, you know, to, to be there on the battlefield? He said, I, I really don't think so. You know, I'm older and I'm, I'm walking with a cane. I don't think so. The king said, so then if you don't have any experience and you're not qualified and you don't think you'd be able to do the job, so why did you come here? He said, I just want to let you know, don't count on me. Yeah? Not every job is for everybody. Don't count on me. You can't be everything to everybody. Right? You have to determine who are you, who are you going to be. Not everybody is going to be everything. You cannot be everything. Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't be everything. He had to have Aharon, his brother, do some of the work. And he had to have Miriam, his sister, also do some of the work. He wasn't able to be everything to everybody. No person can be everything to everybody. There are some jobs that are meant for you that are not meant for anybody else. And there are some jobs that are meant for other people that are not meant for you. And that's not just okay. That's the way God wanted it. That's why we have community and we don't just have one person. We have community because we all support each other and benefit each other and, 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 and contribute to each other and depend on each other because each one of us has areas. There are some people that are fantastic organizers. Fantastic organizers. They know how to organize things and they know how to pull events together. They know how to, they know how to run organizations. Like, I can't, I, I'm not able to do that. That's not my thing. I'm not a good administrator. If you tell me to show up at a certain time and talk and just like keep blabbing on and on and on, that's what I'm doing right now. Right? But if you ask me to, to, if you keep, if you ask me to organize like a program like that, forget it, it will never happen. It will never start. Because I, I'm, it's not my thing. I'm not a good organizer. Maybe I could work on that. Maybe I need to think about being a better organizer. 
but it's not something that's in my natural skill set to, to do that. Some people are fantastic, right? Some people are really, really great at it. Everyone has areas that are their strengths and they can look at that and say, you know what, what can I make out of this? And I think that's the goal. What can I make out of this? What elements of myself would I rather um, work on overcoming that are like liabilities to my achieving the most that I can achieve? And what strengths are maybe untapped? I bet a lot of us have untapped strengths. Maybe some of us in our, are, are ignoring our weaknesses. I think we all do that. We don't want to look at our weaknesses instead of confronting them and working on them. But we also a lot of times ignore our strengths. Because, or we don't take them far enough. There's more that they could go. There's more that, they could, that we could do. A person will say, oh, I'm, 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 I'm you know, there's a, there's a famous, uh, actually a famous story that, uh, uh, that Eliyahu Navi came and he saw fishermen fishing, you know, and he, he, he was doing all this fishing and, and, and he, and the, the fisherman is, is sitting there and Eliyahu Navi says to him, you know, why do you not study Torah? Why do you not, why, why do you fish all the time? And the fisherman said, oh, I'm not made for that. It's not for me. And you'll hear that all the time. That's not for me. I'm not a learner. I'm not able to learn. I'm not, I'm not intellectual. He said, but the same ability, the mind that you have, that you're able to be so successful at what you're doing, you could take that energy and you could put it in also to studying Torah and to becoming a better Jew. Don't underestimate the strengths that you have. Take them all the way. There are certain strengths that you have or abilities that you have. Maybe you're not fully actualizing. That's another side to not getting to know yourself. We oftentimes think of it in terms of just ignoring our flaws, but it's also not appreciating our strengths or how can they be used to the fullest extent. Or we may be cheating ourselves or maybe cheating others because we're not giving as much as we could because we're not fulfilling our, the potential that God gave us to the utmost. And I think that's probably true of all of us, that we all have things we could be doing more of, you know, as opposed to, like, I remember one time, I think I, it, it was at one of the Levayot, at one of the funerals, that Rabbi Biton commented and said that over many years, and I thought this was a very, very, very uh, poignant comment, very, very true, very resonant comment, that he said, over many years of visiting the sick and people who were close, nearing death, he said, you hear very few people who regret things that they've done in their life. Like people don't usually talk about, oh, I wish I hadn't done such and such. I wish I hadn't done that or hadn't done another thing. But you hear a lot of people say, I wish I had done certain things. In other words, opportunities that I missed. I wish I had done more of the good that I could have done. And I think that's so true. I think that we usually think of missed opportunities as more painful than regrets about mistakes that we made, we can eventually put behind us. But at the end of the day, when you look back, you're gonna say, why didn't I do more of the good that I could have done, that I missed the chance to do? Whether it was more kindness and chesed for other people, whether it was more time spent with family and less you know, chasing after other things, whether it was more time developing ourselves coming to classes to learn, praying, whatever, the, whatever aspect of life maybe isn't getting enough of our energy, putting more of it into it and giving it our all and not feeling that we, that we cheated ourselves, that we didn't fully take advantage of the time and the energy that we were given. And so these are two aspects of, uh, of getting to know the dough that we were given so that we can make the best baked goods out of it. But there's, there's another... Um, there's another 
element to it, which is, and I, and I think I mentioned it before, but I just want to mention it again, that a person should not feel ashamed of how they were created. However you were created or however you are is the way that God intended you to be. And I remember, I remember I had one rabbi who said, when I was in yeshiva, he said, I don't understand why people who are beautiful people are very proud of it. You didn't make yourself beautiful or good looking. So what are you proud of? It's just because the DNA happened to come together that made you beautiful, good looking. So all of a sudden you're very proud of that. What, what are you proud of? You didn't do anything. Or if a person even has a very quick mind, let's say they're very fast at learning things. You didn't make yourself smart. If you use it or not is what you decided to do. In other words, if you decide to use your mind and, and be productive and think and learn, now that I can give you credit for. But just the fact that you were born smart with a high IQ, that doesn't mean anything. That's just the way you were created. And in the same way, we shouldn't be ashamed of the qualities that we're born with. A person's born sensitive, they're born anxious, they're born this, that. That's just the way that, that you came into the world. The question is what you do with it. And there's a very great story. And again, it's a story I've shared before in Kenya before, so I don't know if I ever shared it with our groups before, but it's a story that I love because it's a little bit ironic. There was a rabbi by the name of Amram Chasida. Chasida means the pious rabbi, very pious, very religious. Now, how did he get this name of Amram Chasida that he was so pious and so religious? Not because he wore a black hat and had peyot. That wasn't the reason. He didn't wear a long black coat. But one time, this Amram Chasida had, I guess maybe he had a daughter or something that was having a sleepover. I don't know what it was, but there were a lot of girls around and they were all in this attic next to his house or the attic of his house, all these girls. And for some reason, he must have liked one of these girls. He decided he wanted to climb up to the attic to go see these girls. Now that's not a very rabbinic thing to do and not a very religious thing to do. So that's why it's kind of ironic that he's called Amram Chasida. He's called the pious rabbi. He took, it says that he took, the Talmud tells the story. The Talmud is not embarrassed about anything, which is a beautiful thing. Like in Judaism, we're, not, we're taught not to be embarrassed or ashamed of human nature. So this rabbi went and he took this ladder and it says it was a ladder that was so heavy that it would normally have taken a lot of, a lot of people to move it, but all, he had a lot of adrenaline. And so he was able to move this ladder. Sometimes when you're really excited about something, you have energy that you didn't know that you had, right? He's able to move this ladder. He starts climbing up the ladder and he's halfway up the ladder and all of a sudden he screams, fire, fire. And the, all the townspeople, you know, they didn't have a uh, vigilant uh, fire department. They just had screaming fire and people came. People all came and they see him on the ladder and they stopped him because he realized what he was about to do something bad. And he realized that unless those people came, he would have done something that was wrong. So what fire was he really talking about? Maybe the fire of passion that he was feeling was consuming him and, you know, was going to corrupt him. Right? So maybe, it was, maybe it's symbolic. He screamed fire because he felt like flames of, uh, of desire inside. But the idea is that he was called Amram Chasida. He was called the pious rabbi. Amram was his first name because... Not because he didn't have desires that were bad. He had desires like everyone else. The problem was what made him different or what makes, what makes us different is that we just try to deny them or put them under the rug or secretly satisfy them when nobody's looking. And he wasn't ashamed of who he was. He realized he had those desires and he wanted to overcome them. He wanted to stop himself from doing the wrong thing. 
And so he invited everybody else to see him climbing up this ladder. And of course, they all saw why he was climbing up the ladder. They all understood when they got there, but he wasn't afraid. He wasn't ashamed. You don't have to be ashamed of who you are, is the point. What made him great wasn't that he didn't have certain things. Maybe you feel jealous sometimes. You feel resentful, okay? You feel angry. You feel that, ah, I'm so petty. Why do I care about that? It's okay to be human and to have those feelings. It's what you do with them that makes a difference. You say, you know what? Why shouldn't, what? You, you, you take the jealousy and you use it as an opportunity to think, well, why am I jealous? And what can I learn about myself from the fact that I feel jealous? And how can I perceive things differently so I don't feel that way? Or so that I take that feeling and I use it positively. Like the rabbis say in the Talmud, if you're jealous of somebody because they're very, because they're very learned, so learn more. If you're jealous of, wow, that person is so great, everyone loves them, they're so nice and everyone loves them, so be nicer, what's the problem? Right? Take the jealousy and turn it into something positive. It's okay to feel that way. It's what we do with it that really defines us, you see? Just like what we do with the dough is what defines the outcome. We work with the dough that we're given. And, you know, it's it's no shame to be human and to have both weaknesses and strengths. Our job is to get to know both the weaknesses so we can overcome them or channel them properly, as well as the strengths so we make sure that we utilize them to the fullest extent, and then we produce the most amazing and wonderful product that God wants us to become. But it's a lifetime of effort to get there, and it's of self-understanding, and understanding how to bring to bear on our lives the values of Judaism so that we know how to make best use of the strengths and weaknesses that we have. Not to become somebody else, but to become the best that we can be. And I think this is really what Elul is all about. It's what this time of year is all about, is thinking about these issues and how we can work on them. And just thinking about the idea of Chala made me reflect on how similar it is to to this process. And as we're getting closer and closer to Rosh Hashanah, believe it or not, obviously it's been a challenging year for so many reasons. It's been a very memorable year. I think maybe the most memorable of my 18 years that I've been alive. And um, I thought that, you, got, you guys are young, but you know, I thought that when I, that September 11th was gonna be the most crazy thing that I lived through in my life. At that time, it was just like mind-boggling. The world really felt like it was upside down. This year, like, definitely topped that in terms of feeling that the world is like we're living in a movie right now. Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, it's it's it. it and, and I think this is a year that we've um, we've definitely. I I think it's if a person has absorbed. Um, these experiences can really, has a lot to reflect on also because I think there's just been a great deal of um, time apart where we had time to reflect, time to consider what's really most important in life and, and, and what's most valued and, and what we appreciate and are thankful for in, you know, whether it be in our families, our communities, our synagogues, our everything. And, and there's just a lot to reflect on to build a foundation for an even better year ahead. And as memorable as this year was, I think every experience in life, our job is, whether it be good or bad, is to try to think what we can learn from it to become better people. 
And this year has definitely been unique. You'll, you'll remember it forever, I'm sure, and you'll, you, it'll, it'll become the topic of more than one uh, exciting movie and all of that. But the main thing is what we can learn from it, and I think we can learn a lot that we can take to heart and Bezrat Hashem start out a much better new year just in a few weeks from now. And I hope that, and, and with that, as I, uh, you know, especially because this is a group of girls, I have to say everyone will get married this year. Yeah. Who's, seeking, uh, who's seeking their shiduch? I'm not looking at anyone in particular. I'm going to look up so nobody thinks that I have my eyes on them. <laughs> it applies to everybody. And, you know, 